Welcome to Heavy Strategy, where the questions are sometimes more interesting than the answers. And today, Greg and I would like to talk a little bit about low Earth orbit satellites and in general, next generation wireless for enterprises. Greg, I know this is a topic that you've been thinking about for a while, so why don't you go first and give us your, your thinking and... <laughs> Let me summarize the state of play. We call it space networking on... We do the podcast called The Network Break. We're gathering up the news of the week that may or may not be relevant, and we always talk about space networking, you know, <laughs> bit of a joke. <laughs> the, only, the only question is, are the technicians part of the space force? Sorry. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of... Really, what we're looking at here is what Starlink, and, and Starlink is a business unit of SpaceX... And they've been launching these micro satellites. Well, not micro, but they're not CubeSats. And they've been sending them up to space to build a data network. And the way that it works is you put a an antenna. It's quite large. It's about 40 centimeters square, more or less. And you put it on top of your house or you put it on the ground in the back garden. It connects to a PoE device, which goes into your house, of course, because that's where your computers and devices are. Then it will automatically lock on to the satellite and then it will actually track them through the sky because it's not in geosynchronous orbit, but they're in low earth orbit. And what that means is they're not in one place in the sky. They're constantly moving. And so there's this mesh of satellites. You have one satellite which is in play, but then there's another one coming along. It's a bit like mobile phone towers as you move down the road. As you move down the road, there's a mobile phone tower and there's another one at the next hop, and then you jump from that tower to the next one. SpaceX has done some amazingly clever stuff with their antennas to be able to, A, pick up a satellite, which is 500 kilometers above, as opposed to 1,500. I think Geo is 1,500. Anyway, but you get the idea there's a low-Earth orbit. Orbits are much higher Stays up. In the, whereas, well, and I think the other thing to keep in mind about low-Earth orbit satellites is, you know, for those of us who are old enough to remember VSATs, you know, very small aperture uh, terminal satellites, the problem with satellite satellites for networks is the latency to get all the way up to that geosynchronous satellite mm. and all the way back down with low earth orbit satellites they've done calculations that because of the routing of cables across the oceans you actually get lower latency with the satellite network than you would get using a, a land-based network using fiber optics which is actually incredibly important because mm -hmm. now you can suddenly use you know the two the two pieces that are magic here yeah. is that it's low earth orbit so low latency and that mesh that you're talking about, because that means you can you can cover anywhere with it and be able to to set up a really credible network. Yeah. As at today, only the low Earth orbit satellites are in place. And so every time you send a signal to a satellite, it goes up to the satellite and then comes directly down. There's no lateral movement. So there's no it doesn't go up satellite, 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 come down to the ground station. That doesn't exist today. And because these satellites are in low Earth orbit and because they're using so much power and because they're in low Earth orbit, they constantly have to be repositioned all the time. And because they have to stick in a specific orbit, they don't just, you don't just no, put no, them there. No, no, you mean geos no, geosync sticks in a specific orbit. No, even the LEO satellites still have to be guided. Otherwise, they um, get okay. lost. Because the because these satellites are so small, simple things like the sun striking them yep. on the solar panels takes them out of their planned orbits. So they have to right. use fuel or some, some sort of mode of power of various sorts. Let's not get lost in the details of that. <laughs> to keep them in the desired orbit. And there's a whole bunch of stuff, like amazingly clever things. And the final constellation in LEO was initially proved at about 2,500 satellites, and there's now rumours of taking it up to 10,000. As the satellite count increases, that means more and more users can come on board because each satellite would take a cell on the ground. When we talk about cell, we're talking about an area on the ground where the satellite will receive signals from those, and it will allocate a piece of spectrum. 
And the challenge with these LEO satellites is that because the cells is a shared medium, everybody who's got a Starlink terminal in that space has to share that spectrum. It's a bit like the old 802.1a Wi-Fi from back in the day. When someone's talking, you're not. Exactly. It's not a perfect solution. In the future, and then at this point, because they wanted to get rough and ready, near enough is good enough, uh, you want to think of Starlink, to my mind, as very much an alpha project. So they've got the rockets from SpaceX, and it's probably worth touching on, since we're talking about SpaceX, and we'll probably stop talking about SpaceX, it's very important to understand that Starlink is an absolute requirement for SpaceX, because Starlink is the revenue source that will drive SpaceX's revenue curve. Without that mm. business firing and making money out of broadband, mm. SpaceX won't have the money to build the, the the spaceships and to launch the spaceships and undertake and reach profitability. That is, the money that SpaceX gets from NASA does not really cover the costs of the operation or the cost of growth. It might cover the cost of just doing some stuff, but it doesn't really cover the next phase. Like Starship, for example, is costing you know billions of dollars to build and to test and to innovate around. Uh, Greg, that's an interesting port. Push on that a little bit more. Because what are the assumptions that people are making about the revenue generated by Starlink? Because my, my concern is, as with everything else, you have to charge less and less and less over time hmm. for it. And so if it's supposed to be the engine, you know, what's the shape of that curve look like? I'm not sure. I think it's it's very unknown because Elon Musk yeah. is somebody who says a lot of things. Very yeah, few right? of them that he actually means. And in general, he does deliver. So when he makes outrageous claims, he does deliver often enough. Tesla was an outrageous idea when he started. SpaceX was an outrageous idea. Starlink was an outrageous idea. Beyond that, he said a lot more things which have never turned out. So Elon Musk says something, you've always got to sit there and say, you know, about 30% of what he says is actually doable. But when he yeah, does it... Yeah, but I think it's... you should be able to model that. And I haven't done mm. it either. So we, we will leave this as an exercise for the listeners. But yeah, the... what well, you should be able to model the curves for any other type yeah. of broad, broadband connectivity and see well, what the... happened, where initially it was, you know, several hundred dollars a month and now it's like 20 or Yeah, whatever. I don't think it will ever come down in price. Mainly because I, I they, have to, they, consi- they yeah. consistently have to launch satellites. So the satellites only, the LEO satellites will only sit up for a period, six months, a year, two years, three years, and then they'll deorbit because they run out of fuel. Remember we talked about that. Right, right. And no, so then you have to I launch. think that's important, but I think the cost of launching satellites itself is coming down and will come down. And as technology advances, mm-hmm. you know, it's the same argument that people always made. Well, you know, last mile access well, is always going to be expensive because people have to, you know, tranche fiber. And it's like, yeah, but no. And that's <laughs> right? my next Things point change. is that SpaceX's profitability is determined by the Starship. So today we have the Falcon 9. Falcon 9 can launch 50 to 55 satellites now. It was originally sort of 35 to 40. And have they've optimized the Raptor engines, exactly. they're now able to lift more tonnage. But really it's dependent on Starship, which can lift, I believe, several hundred in a single launch. Starship is also key then to the next generation of satellites, which is the geosynchronous ones or the ones that are above. I'm not sure if they're going to be geosynchronous or whether they'll be in a higher orbit above the LEO. If one's at 500, the next ones are at 7,500. And these satellites are not CubeSats or small satellites or microsatellites. These are big, heavy-duty tonnage with lots of fuel and lots of devices. So last week we saw uh, SpaceX, the Starlink part of Star- SpaceX, uh, partner with T-Mobile to announce that mobile phones yeah. will be able to talk directly to satellites. Now, that was a, a South African technology that was proven about three years ago. There was a, a company in South Africa that was able to find a modulation mechanism so the signal could reach the LEO, but it's only two to four megabits per cell. It's not going to be 
data as we know it is going to be text messages and maybe voice you're not going to be right. streaming video you're not going to be sending data browsing web pages you're just but browsing. on the other hand if you're out in the middle of the wilderness as both well in, in a manner of speaking both greg and i are mm. on occasion it's actually super useful to be able to say uh come visit i'm yes. out of fuel and yeah. you know i'm in yeah. trouble not dead i mean you can do that you <laughs> yeah. can do that today with spot but it's extremely primitive and it would be nice yeah. to have a single single thing you could use so there, there is a, a range of new business models so that would add money to the starlink organization right because right? now uh, starlink can now go and partner with all the telcos around the world use their spectrum for this service so they're all licensed they use them for the government they use them to reach the customers and they just get money off the back of it but they have to go and redesign all the satellites that do this with new antennas that would work at different frequencies new hardware on board and so on and so forth but there is a new generation of satellites coming along i believe they're called uh starlink 2 or something really you know, oh, really? Very, yeah. yeah. It, it's still very early phases, but these are big satellites, more like the traditional satellites that we know, not the microsatellites. And then they will rely on Starship working. Now, Starship doesn't work today. It should work. You know, if you had to pick a company who's launching rockets today, who's the most reliable? SpaceX has proven to be able to make outrageous claims and generally deliver on them. So why not believe them? I'm not super wrapped up in who. I think the key point for anyone listening is that this will happen. doesn't matter yeah. whether you believe Musk or don't believe Musk. This will happen. The technology is here. And if it's not Musk, it'll be someone else. Mm -hmm. I, I agree that it's more likely to be yeah. Musk. Thanks. When those satellites are up, then the network will be much more robust and much more capable mm -hmm. because then it will form a, a mesh, a two-tier mesh in space. And they'll start deorbiting the first generation of satellites, replacing them with a new generation, and they'll be using laser links between satellites to transfer data in plane, so around the globe. Which All of which makes me laugh, because when I was, uh, and a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, my, my one of my very first engineering challenges was um, coding for free space lasers to, yeah. because basically if you had, say, on terrestrial lasers, if you had a bird fly through, it was taking an awful lot of bits with it. So you'd have to have coding so that you could reconstruct those bits. And it was possible to do way back in the dark ages of the last century. Mm -hmm. So the ability to do that now in the vacuum of space is, is greatly advanced. You know, the speed of light in a vacuum is the speed of light. In orbital distances, they're about 0.96 of C, compared to the speed of light in a fiber optic cable is 0.3. Point six point five. Point, point. I think it's point six six, but I haven't looked yeah. it up recently. But it's, yes, it, the the whole point is that it, yeah. that light goes slower in fiber, which is not something that most people actually realize. They kind no. of sit there and go, "Wow, we're going at the speed of light." It's like, no, you're in a medium and it slows things down. <laughs> That's right. Now the weird part about that is because even though you're going further around the Earth, it's actually mm -hmm. as fast as, if not faster than, faster fiber than. Rocket, which you alerted alluded to earlier. The, it's the routing and the speed of light. Now, the second part here is that that will represent a substantial link forward, step forward for space for Starlink because it will no longer have the up, down, up, down. So today exactly. you send your signal up to a satellite and the satellite then brings you down to a ground station and then your data goes off on a landline to where it needs to go. And at some point they'll be able to say, oh, we need to build satellite downlinks in AWS, in Azure, in ISP interconnect points all around the world, you know, and we will route the data directly to the nearest point. And that will also change the loading. So then uh, instead of having to go up and down and use up spec, it will change the economics of the network over time, basically. And that is when I'll be watching for Starlink to really become corporate ready. Now that's not to say Starlink is not corporate ready today. It certainly is, and there are people out there putting Starlink onto SD-WAN services as a backup or as a primary and then failing back to... Well, let, let me jump in here, Greg, because this is where we've done a fair amount of primary research. 
In our most recent research study, which came out this year, we found that uh, almost 78% of folks were using wireless as part of their wide area network. Sometimes it's backup, but it's increasingly primary mm. when you just want to get things turned up. And in fact, the primary use case, 68% say the primary use case is just, hey, I've got an office, I've got to open, I don't have time to wait for the telco to, to bring me my services, which could be months. Screw it, I'm going to go up on wireless. Now, keep in mind that wireless is any flavor of wire wireless. It's not specifically low earth orbit satellite. It could be 5G. It could even be 4G. Mm. But the point is people are starting to move in that direction. And in fact, when it comes specifically to wireless WAN using low earth orbit satellite, uh, over half of the folks that we studied are at least evaluating low earth orbit satellite as a wireless technology for mm. their, their... Be yes. aware that it's still early. Um, oh, they're very and, aware of it. And people are but, getting... I'm getting reports now of people finding that Starlink is not performing very well and they're turning it off. And my guess is that they're in small towns. Well, and, yeah. And then there's a group of 50 or 60 people now with Starlink and they're struggling to get capacity. You mentioned SD-WAN, and let me circle back on this mm. because I had a client uh, a couple of years ago tell me that they weren't interested in SD-WAN because that was just a fad and they were going to wait for the thing that came after SD-WAN. And I could not explain to them the, the fact that yeah. SD-WAN is an enabling technology that allows you to take advantage of any technology that comes down the pike because mm. essentially it just allows you to use whatever's handy. Mm -hmm. and the reason yeah. I'm raising this is because basically what you want to do if you're committed to using wireless as a as a WAN, you need to make sure you've got backup on backup on backup. So let's yeah. say you want to use low earth orbit satellite, great. Make sure that your SD WAN will allow you to fail over to 5G where it where it's available and 4G where it's not. You do that and you've got highly reliable all wireless absolutely and this is what people are saying is if if they're just using starlink they're struggling sometimes if right. you're balancing it with a 4g um broadband router which is becoming popular in europe especially if you fit an external antenna to the 4g yep. and mount it outside the building or on top of the building or maybe even get a directional antenna and point it to a specific tower although that's got problems obviously as well as backing it up with dsl you can go three it's not always too easy to do yep. but Basically, the idea is, from an architecture perspective, what I would recommend that any enterprise network architect think about is wireless wherever possible for a whole lot mm. of reasons. Leos where you can, low Earth orbit satellite where you can, failing to mm. 5G if that's not available, failing to 4G if that's not available, and then going wireline if you know if yeah. all else fails. Use whatever that, works, and maybe even right. have them and and you know and, and accept the fact that Starlink is going to vary in quality over time. But, and it doesn't have to be Star Starlink specifically. No. I don't want to keep tying it back to any one provider. I mean, there well, are a lot of companies putting low Earth orbit satellites up. Starlink is you know, your pick for the winner. I don't care. There is another winner, a clear winner. It'll be OneWeb eventually, yeah. right? So that's a European-backed. The UK government currently owns it. They're going to sell it. The Europeans are going to get You know, We're going to see France and Germany get involved. And it's a competitor. It will use SpaceX to launch the satellites, but it'll have its own satellite network. And I think we're going to see all of this play out interestingly. I think that mm. the, the main point that I, I kind of want to hammer on here is this idea that you want to use uh, SD-WAN because that'll allow you to take advantage of any service from any carrier, from any offering. That's right. And that's If your town suddenly, you know, if the location yeah. you are suddenly deploys uh, Metro via the council, they'd run fiber optic through the town right exactly you know. suddenly you got fiber Woohoo! <laughs> yeah exactly and i think the other thing too is to 500 dollars for a starlink terminal today and a hundred dollars a month 
is the rough number for buying the which the, is dirt cheap if you compare it to yeah. you know enterprise costs that's that's the thing mm. that's the thing people don't actually understand enterprise yeah. enterprise engineers are looking at this going well it's it's really low bandwidth and it's really expensive no it's not it's, it's not. neither of those thing as things anymore <laughs> and that is DSL is if there's one thing you can take away from this entire conversation is that you can massively increase your agility, massively massively increase your flexibility without sacrificing bandwidth and with and also get a cost reduction by considering wireless. Yeah. That's huge. Yeah, yeah. You know, and you I get mean, faster, better, cheaper all in one. Absolutely. I mean, how much do you think a business grade DSL costs or a cable right. feed you know it's and we've done the we've done the math on you this can turn we've it seen off. companies if yeah it stops we've seen working, companies you can just... save money hmm. by moving to wireless from wireline and don't forget mobile broadband although you know most people think of mobile broadband as like from a phone but you can get an external unit and then mount an external antenna to it as i've been learning lately in my personal life uh, yes and it substantially changes the equation you can suddenly jump from a 10 meg circuit to 100 meg with an antenna that's fitted outside you know literally just even it is simply as stuck to the glass on the, yep. you take it outside it's, and stick it to the glass and you run a cable through the window and it just gets. And I think, I think the message here is like, we are on the cusp of a revolution and most mm -hmm. people are completely unaware of it. Like you read it in the news and you think, oh, that's interesting, but you don't apply it to your day job. And, and when you start thinking about the possibilities in your mm -hmm. day job, it really starts to get interesting. Yeah, I, mean, I do want to raise one thing though, sure. Greg, because I know we're getting close to the end of this. I think the single biggest uh, holdup in for enterprises using wireless is actually the carriers themselves. You know, and I know the T-Mobile announcement was actually quite interesting. Across the board, carriers seem to think, oh my God, I can't price why any flavor of wireless because you talked about the fact that that there it's resource constrained you can only have so many users at once the carriers are absolutely terrified that if they give you a flat rate pricing for any form of wireless you will swamp their networks what's interesting about this is especially when you talk about things like mesh that's not necessarily true and there are ways that you can get there without mm -hmm. charging usage fees because the missing link for enterprises to start using wireless of any flavor is having flat rate pricing across the board that's comparable to landline. Yeah, the thing that I've seen about the sorts of things is some people are using the SD-WAN to steer high bulk traffic up through Starlink. Right, right. And something that's not latency sensitive, even less... though in many cases the latency is still lower. So, if, if you're concerned that LEO networking isn't like the space networking that we've talked about today isn't your thing, keep in mind that you could just use it, an SD-WAN to steer certain traffic over one circuit and certain traffic over another. Give it a preference. And uh, I know of, for example, a retail company that used uh, 4G to send all of its financial data, so, you know, from the cash registers and the tills and all that sort of stuff, because the 4G was more reliable than the broadband or the cable or the, you know, the stuff that they got. But they didn't want to bulk it over that. They didn't want to send all of the in-house Wi-Fi given to customers and all that sort of stuff. You can do traffic steering with SD-WAN on the edge. And I think really that's the key. The things that yeah. struck me about LEO was... It's fast. It's probably going to be faster to send your data over a space network than it is over a ground network at distance. Yeah. Yeah. Once the mesh is installed, so once the full network is built out. If you're interested in low latency trading, be ready for that. If you're interested in low latency networking, but not necessarily high bandwidth networking, your exactly speed to the satellite is going to be determined by your where you are and how many other things are in the footprint where you are. And that's why SpaceX is now currently selling Starlink into rural locations and to boats, because quite often those people are in places where there's nothing else. 
And so they'll get really good service and they also have a need for it. So it's easy to sell to most of them. I, I just want to reiterate that essentially what we're talking about here, the combination of low Earth orbit satellites, mesh networks and SD-WAN means that we can upend all of our assumptions about wireless networking for the enterprise. Yeah. And if that's your one big takeaway, uh, Greg is a font of really interesting <laughs> information. But if that's your one big takeaway... I'm happy. And and the, the fundamental principle that I'm big on is in when it comes to WANs these days is permissionless WANs. I don't want to have to go and get permission from my telco to connect together. Right. I don't want that. I want to be able to connect something to something. And all I want is the bandwidth that lets me connect to people. And this is in that vibe. And that's the future of where we are. I want to connect to the cloud. I don't want to have to go and beg Verizon or BT or Telstra to connect me a circuit to let that happen. Now, there may be advantages in doing it that way. But there's a lot more advantages in just buying a Starlink or a 4G or a home DSL, you know. Yeah, and if you are Verizon or T-Mobile or BT, uh, I would strongly urge you to consider offering enterprise services at flat rate pricing and stop with the pearl clutching about, oh, my God, it's going to swamp my network. No, you managed to design a landline network that was highly robust and didn't get swamped. Do the same thing with wireless. Well, Your guys are smart and offer flat care. rate pricing. People don't care about the old values. Some people do, and that's often because they might have specific use cases. But as people transition to SaaS and stuff, the need for the way we used to do things is fading away very quickly. Um, let me give you an example here. In the UK, by 2030, they think 30% of cars will be electric on the roads. Now, think about that. What happens if 30% of the cars on the road are there, then 30% of petrol stations will disappear? Or more. And, it, and that makes it hard to own a petrol car because now there's not petrol stations everywhere. The same thing will happen here to bandwidth. As bandwidth just becomes, I want bandwidth anywhere, anywhere, your traditional And I can form. grab it out of the sky, yes. But again, this takes carriers rethinking their pricing models. And Greg, you keep sort of skipping over this, but yeah. it is actually the single biggest reason that people, yeah. that enterprises are afraid to jump on the wireless is because, oh my God, the usage prices will bankrupt well, the thing about the, the, thing, the key thing to know problem. about 4G or mobile broadband is that if you're a company, you can go to a, a, a telco and negotiate to buy 500,000 minutes or five yeah, terabytes but you shouldn't of data. Be, you shouldn't be, yeah, you shouldn't be buy, buying usage by you should, usage based. Coming no, back you to your per, permissionless network, yeah. you should just basically say, well, I, got, I got a pipe, let me run it. Yeah, whereas here in the UK, I can pay 50 pounds a month for unlimited data. Mm-hmm. I don't have to. It's just 50 pounds per SIM and exactly. where you go. And that's, so it and is, that's the pricing you need. All right, Jana, thanks so much for coming on today. This has been fun. This is a real hustle through. We got this done in 25 minutes. If you've enjoyed today, uh, please tell your friends. It's so much helpful to us. If you go out and tell your friends about us, we almost made it into the 200 top 250 technology podcast last week, by the way. Woo-hoo. Um, people who uh, went and subscribed or told their friends you helped us. If you've got any feedback, head on over to packetpushes.net slash FU. Leave your follow-up. Tell us what you think. If you've got a topic for us or you want to argue with us about a point or add something, then we will certainly come around and bring it into the next show for you. Thanks so much for listening. This has been Heavy Strategy, where the questions are greater than the answers.